the Lord our God. This morning, I don't know about you, but we are here to praise the name of the Lord our God. This morning, can you turn with your Bibles with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. The book of Isaiah, chapter 6, 1 through 8. Lord, this morning, we stand before your holy word. We are unworthy creatures. As we look at this passage, we fall before the almighty God. Because you are holy. And you have called us and you have put your word into us. And so this morning as we speak your word, we pray for your unction, we pray for your anointing. Open the word for us, bring it into our spirits this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <coughs> A vision of glory, a vision of holiness. Isaiah, son of Amos, is considered to be the prince of the prophets. <clears throat> He's the prophet of the Old Testament who served 40 years. And he served for Judah and for the kings of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And he served with the contemporaries of Amos, Hosea, and Micah. Isaiah, Isaiah, the son of Amos. Lest we think that his vision began in 6, in chapter 6, the book of Isaiah comes to us from the very first chapter that says the vision of Isaiah. The whole book, my friends, is a vision. Prophet Isaiah 
or God's prophets were often very lonely people. <clears throat> Peasants, farmers, shepherds who dwelt in caves and often lived very lonely lives of suffering and had very few friends. The office of a prophet isn't always something that one applies for. It's never one that it's applied for. Rather, it's a sovereign call and a divine commission for a very painful task. The call was for life, and there are no guarantees that you have. You serve as a spokesman for the supreme judge of heaven and earth. <clears throat> and you cannot say no. Why were the prophets sent? Why were the prophets sent? The Lord God of their ancestors sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had compassion on his people and his dwelling place. The prophets were sent because the Lord had compassion on his people. Isaiah was not exactly that type of a prophet where he was a peasant or a farmer. No, Isaiah hailed from the royal family. He was a statesman who consorted with kings and princes and had access to a heavenly court, or I should say a royal court. Oh, but his message is summed up in the word of his name that says, Yahweh is salvation. I know we have at least one Isaiah here, but the word Isaiah says, Yahweh, or the meaning of Isaiah is, the Yahweh is salvation. Do you know that word Yahweh, a true Jew, would never even use that word they would be, because of the sacredness that is attached to it, because of the holiness that is attached to it, no real Jew would even come close to using that name, let alone in vain, or even write. When he even writes, he's so careful to use that name. Here, this book begins, or this chapter begins with Isaiah saying that at the year the King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. It's important to understand the background of that Uzziah because Uzziah came to the office of a kingdom at the age of 16. And he ruled about 52 years. Yes, the nation rose to heights of power politically. The nation rose financially. The nation rose militarily. And under the kingdom of Judah, which was one of the better kingdoms, Uzziah was one of those wonderful kings who had such a beautiful beginning in his life. Do you know what the scriptures say about Uzziah? The scriptures tell us he sought the Lord and Zechariah the priest taught him to fear God. All this week, as I was meditating on this scripture, the message for parents, the message for us is that 
Bible says that Uzziah prospered because of a man named Zechariah that taught him to fear God. Parents, what do we understand from this? That the fear of God is something that can be taught. The fear of God is something that should be taught. And that godly mentors, godly parents are necessary to spur people to godliness. That godliness is something that we have to transpire. I'm sorry. All this week as I was writing this, I was crying. I'm sorry I didn't mean to be emotional, but I can't help it. Teaching person to fear God. The Bible says bring success. My friends, if you can't even, if you're not able to give your children that college education, don't fear. If you're not able to provide in a way materially, that's not important. But if you could teach your children to fear God, the Bible says they will be successful. We have a solemn responsibility to teach. And the years that Uzziah feared God, the Bible says he prospered. Uzziah prospered under Zechariah because, what, because the Zechariah taught him to fear God. This morning I ask you, do you have anyone who is beside you? Do you have anyone to help you to be that person of accountability? Do you have anyone who you can pray with? Anyone that, can, you can, that God can speak into your life? But do you know what happened to this wonderful king? The Bible says as Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to his God. And the Bible says he entered into the temple to burn incense on the altar. And what comes out is so striking that Azariah and 80 priests came to the temple to stop Uzziah. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine the scene? Azariah and 80 priests come to tell Uzziah, this is not your place. 80 priests stop what they're doing, come to the temple and say, Uzziah, this doesn't belong to you. You are not called for this. But Uzziah goes forward. And what's striking is, the Bible says, while he was raging at the priests in 2 Chronicles 26, while he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out. On his forehead. When all the priests and Azariah looked at him, the Bible says, they saw that he had leprosy and they hurried him out. What does the life of Uzziah say? And why is Isaiah so troubled? Uzziah's life demonstrates a pride that brought him fall and failure. He went from royalty to leprosy. Yes, my friends. Pride can bring you down. Pride makes people to engage in matters that they have no business in. Pride makes people to take things that doesn't belong to them. Pride makes you fall. 
Uzziah speaks one thing to all of us and to me who's standing before you. Be careful in handling holy things. Uzziah speaks to me and to you. Be careful in the handling of holy things. Be sure what you do, it is something that God wants of you and that God requires of you. As I talk to you today, I'm reminded of a story that happened to me. I was sitting in a, in a, in a, in a room of God's people. And one man of God who's older than me, who's a member of our church, I leaned over to him and I asked him, what do you have to say? And I will never forget what he said. He called my name and looked at me in the eye. He said, Vinny. And he said it in Malayalam. I'll say that first so that you could understand. Vinny. Devam finye elpikyata dunnum. Finny chayyaradu. Finny parayaradu. He said, what? Don't ever get involved in anything. Don't say anything that God hasn't entrusted you. My friends, this morning, Uzziah tells us, don't say anything, don't carry anything, don't deliver anything, don't pick up anything that God hasn't entrusted us. The pained prophet Isaiah is very anxious about the country. And as he looks and sees the life of Uzziah that just dropped, he has a cloudy picture ahead of him. And he understands what the Lord has told his people. Because God had already spoken to the people. He said, I have nourished and brought up children, but they have rebelled against me. He said, the ox knows his master and the, the, the ass his master's crib. But Israel does not know and my people do not consider. From the sole of the foot and even to the head, there is no soundness to it. In the midst of all this judgment, the Lord comes with mercy to his people. Could you hear this and see what Isaiah said? Come, the Lord says, the sovereign God says, come, let us reason together. Come, let us reason together. And then he said, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And the next part is what scares all of us and should be scaring me and you. Because the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Because the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Friends, it's not Isaiah that is speaking. He's saying the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And so Isaiah is burdened. And this is the background that is coming in. He's turmoiled. And as he's in prayer, he begins to get this encounter with God. And God comes to him. This morning, whatever your situation is, whatever your problem is, whatever your area, whether it's financial, family, whatever it may be, the encounter with God will change your situation. The encounter with God forever changes your destiny. The encounter with God changes your destination. The encounter with God changes your perspective. Isaiah is taken to the heavenlies. And as he sees this morning, I want to bring to you three features of his vision. 
three features that point to this vision. Number one, I want to say, it's God's sovereignty. Isaiah, the first feature of this vision is pointing to God's sovereignty. And in this God's sovereignty, I want to state that it is calling you and me. It is calling you and me to a place of submission. Yes, the throne of God is of Judah is vacant, but not the heavenly throne. Because God is king over all, and God is speaking to Isaiah. Yes, I am still sovereign. I am still king. I am still in control. This morning, to understand the sovereignty of God, we must understand that God is separated from everything because he is and works of himself, out of himself, for himself, and for his own sake. And so he is the first and he is the last. He is the alpha, the omega, the infinite and unchanging, omnipotent and omniscient one. God is sovereign. Listen to what he says in Isaiah. I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is none other like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times and not done saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish for my purpose. My friends, God is sovereign. He is king and sovereign in the affairs of men. Yes, the Bible says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it whomsoever he will, whatever your situation is this morning. Whatever burden you're carrying this morning, know that God is king. God is king. God alone is sufficient. Not only is he sufficient, he is self-sufficient, independent, and doesn't need anything from anyone. Yes, Paul says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven, things in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and hold all things together. Your God is sovereign. God alone is self-sufficient. Not only is he self-sufficient, not only he is the creator of everything. For John, the apostle says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made. This morning, I present before you the perspective of the vision. God is sovereign and he asks you to submit to him. Yes, my friends, the sovereignty of God speaks and says, there isn't anything that will enter you or my life that God doesn't know about. It is not, nothing can come without his decree and nothing will ever enter your life that he doesn't know about. God is sovereign. His sovereignty is what compels you and me to bow before him. Yes, my friends, we bow before him. For God is transcendent in authority. God is transcendent. For there is one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all, and all in all. Ephesians 4, verse 6. My friends, in these points or in these times when we look, when we see the world and the nations moving, and we see that the church isn't where we think it's supposed to be, when everything seems morally and financially bankrupt, I want to tell you 
God is sovereign and he calls us to submit to his sovereignty. Not only is God sovereign or, his, or the point of vision that he is God's sovereignty, we see the most important or to me the most striking point that came also is verse 3, uh, 2. It stood above a seraphim which covered his face with two, it had six wings, he covered his face. With twain, he covered his feet. With twain, he did fly. The feature, the second feature, points to God's holiness or, and God's glory. And the response as we see God's glory and God's holiness is to worship him and make worship our lifestyle. My friends, as we are coming into this magnificent vision, we see a group of angels that are called seraphs, and the only time we see them. And what, uh, what was so fascinating about this worship, they had six, angels, six wings. Two of them they used to cover their face. Two of them they used to cover their feet, and two of them they used it to fly. And notice, they, as they fly, they are saying something so powerful that is recorded twice in the scriptures, once in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament, two times men of God are gazing into the heavenlies of worship, and in the worship they declare the same thing, that is God is, he is holy, holy. God. I remember one time, one man of God came and he said something. He said, and hear me carefully. He said, when you say God is holy, you are not giving him. You are not giving him the right due. Because God is not just holy. God is holy. Holy. When you say that first holy, you may not feel that. You may not. When you say the second, God is holy. He's holy. He's holy. God is holy. God's glory and holiness is in such magnitude that the seraphims, as perfect as they are, are not able to see God's face because of God's holiness. Yes, my friend, there are attributes of God, all of which are perfect. Love, mercy, and grace. But none of them are spoken in this manner. Only the holiness of God is spoken that says he's holy, holy, holy. Yes, God is love, but it's not spoken as love, love, love. But the holiness of God is such, it is spoken that God is holy, holy, holy. And the word holiness, as you all know, it means set apart. It means set apart. 
But when applied to God, it 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 it, it speaks of His incommunicable, communicable essence, right? And when you think of God, I want you to know that yes, He's holy, and He's holy, He's holy, because the Bible says. God has spoken in holiness, Psalm 60, verse 6. These words are words of holiness. Psalm 47, 18, his throne is a throne of holiness. Psalm 48, 1, he dwells in a mountain of holiness. Psalm 93, verse 5, holiness adorns his house. And if you want to know what Apostle Paul talks, he said he dwells and lives in unapproachable light. That no one whom no one has seen or can see. But as worshipers of God this morning, as a worshiper of God before you, the Holy Spirit calls us to Psalm 29 to give the Lord or give unto the Lord. The glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Sing unto the Lord, Psalm 30, verse 4. Oh, he saints, give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Second Chronicles 20, 21, King Jehoshaphat speaking says, appointing singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty this morning we we worshiped we worshiped this morning and as we were worshiping we had that message right holy 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 because the whole earth is filled with his glory this morning i want to bring to you that the beauty of god the beauty of god is encapsulated in his holiness the beauty of god is one that david said one thing one thing have I desired of the Lord? That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold, to behold the beauty of the Lord. To behold the beauty. Yes, my friends, what is the connection between holiness and glory? That holiness is the glorious perfection of his beauty. What arrested me this morning, and I want to tell you, is that the holiness of God is his glory. The holiness is God's hidden glory, and glory is God's all-present holiness. There is that intricate connection of holiness and glory. Leviticus 10.3, Moses says to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness to those who come near me. I will display my glory before all people. Exodus 15.1, Miriam prophesies to God's people in song, who is like thee, O God, glorious in holiness. Apostle Peter, Paul, writing to the church, writes this, and I never experienced all of this uh, this week. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for her to make her holy and clean. Washed by the cleansing of God's word. And listen to this. 
He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, holiness and glory, hand to glove. The sanctification of the church or of God's people renders her glorious. Yes, my friends, holiness is that internal glory. Gloriness, a glory is that holiness of God shining forth. They are joined together by God to enable us to understand that glory is the revelation of his holiness. And what is our response this morning as we see that holiness of God is to worship him and make worship our lifestyle. Worship is our lifestyle. Pointing the, the vision pointed to God's sovereignty. The vision pointed to God's holiness. And lastly, it pointed to God's mercy. Oh, it pointed to God's mercy. In chapter 5, Isaiah, who saw the Lord, Isaiah, who experienced and speaks only the word of God, five times he says, woe. Five times in chapter, don't think that that wasn't the word of the Lord. That is the word of the Lord. The woes were in chapter five are the word of the Lord. But something magnificent happens in, five, in six. Because in chapter six, verse five, he says, woe is me. He says, I'm done. I'm undone. Woe for himself when he saw the holiness of when he saw the holiness of God, all of a sudden, the woes that he gave before are much greater to himself. He said, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm, I'm falling apart. I'm unraveled because I have come face to face with the holiness of God. And so he sees that he is a person that's morally, spiritually unfit to be the person who he is called to be because he sees the holiness of God. When we see the holiness of God, it levels everything. And the more we see of God's holiness, we become aware of our sinfulness. Our sinfulness. Mine eyes have seen the king, and a true view of the king can be seen in seeing the holiness of God. But I want you to see God's mercy here, and this is the part I want you to see also. That yes, he saw his failure. He saw his unworthiness. But the seraphs who are saying, holy, holy, holy. That's all they knew what to say. That's all they did. And the next thing you see is a very powerful moving scene. The seraph who is crying, holy, 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 has stopped to get a coal from the altar of God, and he doesn't even hold it with his hands. He takes a tong. He takes a tong from the altar. I don't know the explanations to this, but he takes a tong from that altar, and he puts it on the lips of Isaiah. And God sends that seraph, and he puts this, this on the lips of Isaiah the prophet. It's so hot that it needs to be held with a tongue. And the tongue, as the, as the coal is placed on the lips of the prophet, 
he is cleansed. He is now commissioned, and all of a sudden he has a new mission. And all of a sudden, he is now looking and saying, Lord, uh, the, the word comes, whom shall I send? And the Lord says, and he, who shall go for me? All this time, he was declaring the word of the Lord before. But this time, he has seen the holiness of God. And I want to tell you something. This is the one thing that I come to realize. That we may declare the word of the Lord. But it is another thing to declare the word of the Lord and seeing the holiness of God. Isaiah saw the holiness of God. And then he came to understand what an unworthy man he was. But the mercy of God has rescued him. And this morning I want to come and say to you, it is God's mercy that rescues us. He has given us that rescue. Yes, my friend, he experienced the confession. He experienced the cleansing. And he experienced a commission. Yes, hallelujah. So great is God's mercy that he comes for us today. We are unclean, but, the, but God's, or the blood of Jesus Christ has given us that cleansing that we need. The very same God that shows mercy to Isaiah is here this morning to bring mercy to your situation, to me and to you. And in that very situation, Isaiah is given no assurance that the people respond positively. But that doesn't matter for him. That doesn't matter for him. Because the word says they will see and not believe. They will hear and not understand. But yet that is not an issue for Isaiah anymore because his eyes had seen, witnessed the glory of God. And that's what happens to each of us when we receive the commission of God. What the world and what people say doesn't become important to us because we have been given a different commission. Pointing to God's mercy, pointed to God's sovereignty, pointed to God's Holiness and glory pointed to God's mercy. This morning as God's people, we are crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies. Apostle Paul calls us, how do we respond to mercy? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. When we see God's mercy, we bring our bodies and ourselves to God and we surrender and we say, I present my body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is his reasonable service. This morning, my time has come. I want to conclude. This morning, whatever your situation is, God is sovereign. The sovereign God stands before you like Isaiah. He's in charge. For you and for me, we see the sovereignty of God. And for Isaiah and for me, we get an opportunity to experience the Lord in, and worship him in the beauty of holiness because he sees the holiness of God. But unlike the seraphs, and I want to finish here, while they couldn't see, the glory of God, they were not able to experience it. 
the prayer of Jesus comes to us today that says, Father, I will that where I am, they may be there also, that they might see the glory that thou hast given me. And so the glory is now given to us that Christ in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You and I are not only going to see the glory, we are carrying the glory. And in John's revelation, the Bible says his servants shall see him as he is. We are children of God. And what we will be has not been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope purify themselves just as he is pure. Hallelujah. We shall see him as he is. The mercy of God comes to us. What the seraphs could not see, we will see as the redeemed children.